If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, or because of the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience or those who disobey, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh in carrying out the desires of the body. The the, uh, first word in this uh, chapter, I think, is vital to us, and it is the word and, because it connects us with the first uh, chapter uh, where Paul says in, and if you've got your Bible there handy and you can look this up, but we don't have it on the board for you, but in chapter 1, he's praying for them, verse 16, chapter 116, I give thanks for you to God, remembering you in my prayers, and he's praying that they would uh, have their eyes opened, verse 18, the eyes of your heart being enlightened, and that you would know the hope of your calling and this glorious inheritance in the saints, and Verse 19, the, the immeasurable greatness of power that has come to you who believe. So there's this incredible power that has flowed to believers. And then he tells you the, the power that has come. How great is this power? Well, look at verse chapter 1, verse 20. It's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, resurrection power. The power that has come to believers and made them believers and brought them to conversion is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And he says... um, In chapter 2, verse 1, then he uses the word and, you were dead in trespasses and sins. See, because the power that brought you to Christ, the power that raised you up, had to because you were dead spiritually. Just as Christ was dead physically, the power of resurrection from God was the only thing that could intervene and bring him out of the grave in the same way You were dead spiritually. And the only hope that you had was not in education. I'm for education. But it's not in education. It's not in a good family. It's not in a good environment. I'm for a good environment. I'm thinking about joining Greenpeace. Not really. But all of these things are good. The, The one thing... That is your hope, is that God's power 
would raise you from the dead spiritually. Now, dead is a pretty drastic word. It means dead to God, dead to his family, dead to his wisdom and fellowship, dead to his provision and care. You may remember the Luke 15 passage where the prodigal son says to his father, um, you know how when you die, you give your children your money? Could I go ahead and have that portion that's coming to me since you're not dying soon enough for my tastes? So, amazingly, the father gives him his inheritance ahead of time. And he, he takes it and he goes off into the far country and he spends it and wastes it. I don't know how long he's gone. Maybe he's gone a few weeks or months or even years. <clears throat> but Luke 15 says that the father would go up on this hill and he would look down the road at every evening to see if his son was coming home. And then one day, he went up in the evening as he always did, and there he saw a solitary figure, and he's thinking, he walks like my son. And he keeps looking. And he gets closer, and he says, that is my son. And the father breaks into a run, and he he meets him in a embrace. He says in Luke 15, he kisses him. A father kissing his son, his grown son. And then he calls for robe and rings and a fatted calf and they takes him into the household and they have this big party and eat steak and the elder brother's wants an explanation for all this and he says Luke 15 32 the father says this my son was dead and now he's alive again he was lost now he's found now he didn't mean he was dead physically but he meant that he was dead to his love that there was no way to there was no expression or reception of that love no mutual reciprocation of affection that there was no way to provide for him that there was no household fellowship or sitting at a table with the family. There was none of that. It was as if he was dead. Do you remember when God told Adam and Eve and warned him, do not take of the fruit of the tree for in the day, Genesis 2, 7, that you eat thereof, you will die. Now, he didn't die physically, but he was put out of the garden. He died to God. So the idea here of being dead in trespasses and sins means that in terms of God, in terms of his provision and love and affection and care and household, you are dead. There's nothing of God in your life. That's that's what Paul is saying. That is the way you were in your trespasses and sins. There's an interesting verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, when he says um, to the new Christians there, Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes desire and crave the pure milk of the Word. Uh, now, we've had uh, five babies in our home, and 
I'll tell you, it's a, when they want milk, you better get them milk. They scream. They have a passion for the milk. And uh, he says, that is the way a Christian, as the key though is, as newborn babes desire it. But now you talk to people who say they're Christians. They don't even have a Bible. They will spend thousands on a hobby, but not a Bible. They, they, they do not long for God's Word. How is that? When we are dead, we are dead to His Word. We don't care. We are unfeeling, unfeeling. We don't feel it. We don't care about God. We don't care if the church is closed. We don't care if, his, if what the sermon is based on the Bible or not. We, a true Christian wants to know not if the sermon was that great or if the preacher was that good looking. Hallelujah that I can... <laughs> I had to throw that in. But is the sermon based on what God is saying? Is the sermon based on God's Word? That's what a Christian wants to know. So he says, like newborn babes, cry out for the Word of God. Read the Word. Let, let, it, let it satisfy your longing. I saw a little article. It said something like this. Okay, I'm a party girl. Yes, I dance on tables. And when I get drunk, I want every hot boy in the room. Yes, I'm a party girl. And I don't care who knows it. Wow. And here's what Paul said, 1 Timothy 5, 6. The woman, speaking of the women, who live for pleasure are dead while she lives. You guys, I'm telling you, if you could see spiritually as God does, when you see the party girl and she looks so, she's all dressed up for Friday night, if you could see like God does, she'd look like a zombie. It would be like a horror movie. And instead of you going, whoa, who's that babe? You'd be like, ah <laughs> Call the police. They're here. <laughs> Paul is saying, you were dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The world is like a, this big graveyard, and, and although people look like they have a job, a car, a, and Sunday is just a day to rest up and then work to serve yourself the rest of the week, the reality is that you have this macabre scene of death with people who are walking in living death. And what, what the apostle is going to do here, you see, he's praying. I, I'm praying to the Father that he would show you, that he would open your eyes to the power that has come to you. And the way he's going to now show you the power, the resurrection power that has come to you, he's going to show it to you by showing the depths from which God brought you. That's how he's going to do it. 
He says, I want you to see. In order for you to see, for God's Holy Spirit to illumine just what great power, the power of resurrection that came and rescued you, I want to show you how far down you were from which God had to bring you, the power it took to bring you out and make you a believer. So he, said, he describes you as dead spiritually. We can only recognize the mighty power that raised us to new life when we understand something of the depths from which we were raised. Now let me give you three uh, quick uh, points to consider on spiritual death. Um, to help you understand this, the one observation I'm, I want to make here is that uh, just as in physical death there are varying degrees of decay. You, you're either dead or alive, right? But you can have varying degrees of preservation. You can be mummified. Um, uh, Julie, bring up that, that uh, we're going to skip down to Jeremy Bantham, Bentham. This is a philanthropist who died in like 1840 or something, 1832. And, and uh, he left this will um, that his body should be preserved and stored in a wooden cabinet at the University of College of London. It's a, it's a medical school, and he, uh, uh, he left the, this, all these riches, and they desperately needed it. And he believed in their work, so he said, look, you can, you can have everything I've got. But the contingency was you have to preserve my body and display it and take me to all the board meetings once a year. And so for 180 years, they weren't going to do it. They thought, well, I guess that's not going to happen. Somebody just said, why not? We need the money. And besides that, it's a medical school. We can, we can do it. So somebody said, all right. So they... they uh, preserved his body. This is his literal body, and it's in the medical center. It's on display, and it says that they, every year, they wheel him morbidly into the board meetings where it is solemnly pronounced he is introduced. Jeremy Bentham is in attendance, but he will not be voting. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Hey, don't look too bad. I've seen living people look worse than that. <laughs> and, but you can be preserved. You don't have to look bad to be dead. Hitler loved classical music. He was a connoisseur of the arts. He even has paintings. And you can buy them. It does see, you can't go by how people look. They look waxy and preserved and stiff, but spiritually, they could not care less about God. They use his name in vain. They violate his Sabbaths. They disobey his commandments. They have no 
heart for his word. They have no affection for his people. You, you can t- these people are dead spiritually, but you wouldn't know it. There are varying degrees of decay. All right, give me that. Let's go back to those. The second thing is this is the natural state of man. Uh, this doesn't happen when you turn 21. Romans 5.17 says, if uh, by the trespass of one man, death reigned or ruled or came and dominated through that one man. In other words, when Adam sinned, he said, in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. So death came in through Adam and Eve. God made man not mortal, but immortal. God made man to live, not die. Death came when Adam and Eve sinned. So that death is a part of the the natural genealogical process that goes all the way back to Adam. For by the trespass of one man, death has reigned. Now this, when I say that this is the natural state of man, I mean that all of us um, are born... And a child is not born immortal. It is born dying. It is our connection to Adam. And we all have these bents. Let me, let me say this about the natural condition of man. Sometimes somebody will ask uh, or say something about whether you are born a homosexual. And here's my take on that, and I think that this is the biblical approach. I think that all of us are born with varying proclivities or tendencies toward different sins. Uh, some people have, are, are born with addictive personalities. Uh, some people are born with certain perversions. And someone who's self-righteous would say, oh, I can't believe they would do that that they like that, whereas arrogance and pride, they don't realize that that's a mark of death, spiritual death, just as a perversion would be. See, everybody is different, but we're all born with some kind of eruption of death. It breaks out in some wackiness and weirdness. I think we're all nuts. I think we all have these these tendencies toward one thing or another, and just because your weirdness is not my weirdness, I tend to look down on you and feel better about my weirdness. So in terms of orientation, we all have an orientation toward particular weaknesses, flaws, and sins. Some people can, they lie when they don't have to lie. But they just can't help it. They just lie. They steal. Kleptomania. You can, uh, a person can be a thief, and they got money in the bank. They don't have to, but they just can't seem to keep their hands in their pockets. So all of these, all of us have something. Your family is probably the ones who could tell you what yours is. Even, even depression 
Did God make us to be depressed, moody, and semi-suicidal? No. Some people are born that their personality is like that. They, they need chemicals or medicines or different things. So we have this orientation towards some particular sin. So if you say to me, are some people born with an orientation towards same sex? I would say yes. But if you say to me, God made them that way, I would say no. Because God made man upright and wholesome and healthy and holy and glorious, and he fell. And in Adam's sin, we all got sucked in. So that that bent of some sort went every direction like an explosion. So all of us are affected by it. So the answer is, yes, there are some people born that way. Some people are just sucked into it. Some people are just uh, fallen with other particular sins. But, but the, the issue is, did God make us that way? And the answer is, God made us holy, but Adam sinned. This is the spiritual death we are struggling against and we constantly have to deal with. Here's the third thing. Uh, just like death, nothing works until there's life. The primary thing you need is life. It is the primary problem of the unbeliever is his death. He doesn't primarily need education or he doesn't primarily need uh, groceries. He primarily needs life. Because you can't do anything. You can't respond until resurrection life comes to you. There can be no freedom, true freedom of the will if there is no life. So we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let me give you um, what Paul says in verse 2 and 3 to sum this up. This is the apostles' teaching then on our, uh, on our condition and his view here. First of all, um, we would sum it up by saying the world provides the pathway to this sin, the outlet. Look at verse 2. Ephesians 2, verse 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked. See, there's the path following the course of this world. The world gives you a path, a course, a direction, so your sinful desires can have a road to run on. The world provides that for you. They, uh, y'all know what curling is? One of the most exciting sports you will. Um, it's been in the Winter Olympics since 1998. It and what they do is they they try to slide a stone to a target. And but what what's always funny to watch is these guys they call sweepers, and they get in front of the stone that's sliding toward the target, and they furiously rub in front of it. <laughs> Have you seen that? They're, they're trying to use friction to move the stone in a straight and, and quicker direction. That's what the world does. 
They say, oh, man, you got that proclivity? Hey, here's a path for you. And they will make a nightclub just to cater to your sin. Now, what the church will do is say, we're against your deadness. We want to give you life. We're against your death. That's the church's role. That which kills you spiritually and your love for God and your love for his word and your love for his people and your love for his, for his presence, that which kills that, that death, we're against anything that does that. That's the church's witness, and it must stay true to that. But the world will provide the path. That's why he says, the course you walked according to the course of this world. Secondly, the devil provides the power. This is, look at, uh, look at the next phrase of verse 2. Following the prince, you walk in the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in, and the Greek word for work is energy, energeo, energizing. He is the spirit that is now at work energizing the sons who, of disobedience. Satan brings energy to the life of sin. <clears throat> Just when you think you cannot go any longer, you have this sudden strength to pursue your idol. Satan energizes the sinner so that his life is fully depleted and consumed in pursuing his sinfulness. He just energizes that thing. Uh, uh, beyond all reason and rationale. Why would he do that? That's not reasonable. Yo, reason is out the back door. This is a supernatural anointing to pursue your idol. Every unconverted sinner has demons. Do you see that, that there? You, in, which you, in fact, you had demons. If you, before you became a Christian, you had evil spirits in you, energizing you. You're like, whoa, whoa. I point you to chapter 2, verse 2. You once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now working in the sons of disobedience. He's working in them. But you were once like that. Every lost person has evil spirits in them. They go to their bedroom and lay down at night and evil spirits are there. Demons, fallen angels. And if you could see in the spiritual realm, it would freak you out. You would run screaming out of the house. There's something in there. And you're right. You would call the police, and the police would say, what is wrong? There's demons in there. Demons, well, I'll get my gun. <laughs> no, who do you need to call? Who are you going to call? <laughs> Somebody with the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> got to know who to call 
Man, lost my place. <laughs> but this is an amazing thing. Um, I wrote this down that scientists at the University of South Florida made a discovery that a shark can pick up a single drop of blood, a, a scent of a single drop of blood a quarter of a mile away, and like their nostrils, like the scent comes and they, it, for us, like our sense of smell, we smell something, we don't know what direction necessarily, but a shark turns in the direction that the first nostril, that it hits the first, that's how sensitive they are. It's like, oh, this nostril is picking up blood. Ooh. That's how sharp, that's how sensitive they are. That's the way demons do fleshly sins and idolatry. They can pick up the scent of a fleshly craving. Oh, there's, look at him. Yeah, let's go. And then they just zoom in and circle and energize. His sin and his flesh is what is the gasoline, uh, or is, is what is the fire, but they are the gasoline. They pour the gas on that fire and make it supernatural in its passion. Let me just ask you, because I have experienced some of this in years gone by. When you have a sin, maybe it's a, maybe it's a stronghold, and you want that thing so bad, you'd walk over your grandmother to get to it. You'd walk over Jesus to get to it. Have you ever wanted it so bad? Maybe say, yeah, a new car. <laughs> it could be just something as simple as that. That's why, you, that's why we have to recognize the invisible realm, the evil spirits that are just out there. Now, I'm, I'm taking off on this thing of chapter 2, verse 2, the prince of the power that's in the air, the spirit now energizing the sons of disobedience. So, the devil provides the power. Uh, and then finally, is that your flesh provides the passion. This is what he says here. The spirit that's not working, the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. We all were like this when we were lost. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. There's nothing wrong with the desire to have sex or desire to go to sleep, the desire to eat. It's when the desires become passions. In fact, the difference, the, the way it seems like the Bible uses the word body is when it's a natural desire, sex, food, sleep, that kind of thing. But then when it's called the flesh, it's when the natural desire of the body becomes the passionate inflaming of the flesh. Then it's flesh. That seems to be a distinction in, in the New Testament. But thanks be unto God. He who raised Jesus from the dead has exerted that same mighty power, resurrection power, into our heart and spirit and raised us. And we who once cared nothing for God now love him. We who once cared not, ever, all the church is full of hypocrites. Now we love them. 
And once upon a time, there was we did not understand everything in the Bible was King James English and medieval ideas, and it was crazy. Who talks like that? But now we can't consume enough of the Word of God. We are alive. Thanks be unto God. We who were dead in trespasses and sins have been raised to new life, delivered from the devil, and rescued from the world. We are changed and resurrected, and, and I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a good word to say. Hallelujah. All conversions are deliverances and all conversions are resurrections. All conversions are miracles and only God can save us. And I give you this and I'm done. Like Lazarus, Jesus comes to the grave. And I don't know why that he just calls Lazarus. But there's a mystery here why he spoke life to you and not to another. Except that John 5 do you know what Jesus said? Just as the Father has the power to give life whom he wills, so the Son of Man quickens whom he wills. Whoa. But he walked up to the grave and quickening whom he will in front of Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. God, through Christ, called his name. And it may be that God calls your name 